me what the hell are we going to do now? We've got to show these guys that finally met their match. Hey, Pevin! I'm hearing you, Bonnie. I see you got Charlie Crawford down there with you. Yeah, we got a whole lot of... Oh, my God! Damn! Hey, Pevin! Charlie Crawford ain't with you anymore! Thanks for tuning in, everybody, to the, my podcast, The Adventures of Flash. Uh, I hope y'all enjoy this episode. It is uh, episode number 18, The Real Story of Billy the Kid. After my last episode, I got such an overwhelming response that I decided to do another podcast on the Old West, and uh, I hope you guys enjoy it. Grab your favorite beverage and sit back and enjoy another great episode of The Adventures of Flash. The real story of Billy the Kid this week. Okay, guys, I appreciate y'all. Get ready. Billy the Kid, the most infamous outlaw of the American West. Legend says that he murdered one man for each of the 21 years that he lived. And even though the law often caught up with Billy, he always managed to escape. Until one man declared that he would not rest until Billy the Kid was dead. This is the story of the real Billy the Kid. Southeast New Mexico in the 1870s was a rugged frontier territory dotted with a few small towns, cattle ranches, and mining settlements. It was also a land of cowboys, men who went wherever the work was and lived by their own laws. Nobody knows for sure where Billy was born, but most people believe that his family came out of the Midwest, probably by way of Anderson, Indiana, and Coffeyville, Kansas. When Billy was a boy of 14, he and his family settled in New Mexico. We really don't know that much about Billy's real origins. All we really know is that... Uh... By way of Indiana and Kansas, he and his family wound up here in Santa Fe, where his mother married, and then the family moved on to Silver City. Silver City, New Mexico, was an interesting place. Uh, it was a very rough town, and of course the miners were very rough, a lot of fighting in the streets, that kind of thing. Billy's mom was a gregarious Irish woman who everybody seemed to like. And she had a boarding house in Silver City, and uh, everyone who encountered her said that she was really kind of a, a, a very nice lady. Mm, Mr. Antrim, on the other hand, Billy's stepfather, could, uh, was a minor. He was rarely there. He was a little bit of a ne'er-do-well, and he certainly didn't have much love for his son. Schools out on the frontier were simple one-room buildings where all children, regardless of age, were mixed into a single class. But by all accounts... Billy didn't pose any problems as a student. In Silver City, New Mexico, it 
would appear that Billy the Kid was a likable youngster. Most of the stories that have been passed down refer to him as Kid Antrim. The indications are that he was likable, that he got along well with people. But when Billy was only 15 years old, his mother passed away. The Silver City News announced the death. Died in Silver City on Wednesday the 16th, Catherine, wife of William Antrim, aged 45 years. Mrs. Antrim came to Silver City about one year ago, since which time her health has not been good, having suffered from an affection of the lungs. And for the last four months, she has been confined to her bed. There was never a close relationship between Billy the Kid and his stepfather, Mr. Antrim. When Catherine died, Mr. Antrim wandered off to California. Billy the Kid now is roaming the streets of uh, Silver City, New Mexico, constantly in trouble. Billy was essentially an orphan at that moment, but he was prone to start to hanging out with the wrong crowd, and one only wonders what would have happened to him if he still would have had his mother. Without anyone to look out for him, it wasn't long before Billy fell in with the town's rougher elements and committed his first crime. Billy hid some uh, stolen uh, laundry, I believe it was, uh, in his room, was caught with it, and uh, he was friends with the sheriff's kid. And if you've ever lived in a small town, you know that the wildest kids in a small town are the sheriff's kid and the preacher's kid. Well, the sheriff's kids, uh, the father thought he needed to teach Billy a lesson, so he put him in the jail. You wonder about the West's greatest outlaw uh, beginning his career by stealing clothes from a Chinaman, but this, is, this appears to be the way in which it started. The sheriff didn't want to really punish anyone so young by throwing him into a cell, so he gave him the run of the corridor, which was a mistake because when he arrived back the next morning at the jail, the kid had shimmied up the chimney and escaped. Believing that he was in more trouble than he really was, Billy fled west across the New Mexico border and into Arizona. Arizona offered Billy a whole new world of possibilities. There was plenty of cattle to be rustled and saloons to amuse himself in. Billy took to this new life like a fish to water. Billy's life in Arizona uh, is shrouded in mystery. We do know that he hung out with the wrong crowd. He was increasingly getting into trouble, stealing saddles and horses uh, from the soldiers around Camp Grant, Arizona. And uh, he was arrested uh, several times, or, or they tried to capture him. Stealing horses is an accepted thing. If you're going to get around, there's only one way to get around. Uh, there are no automobiles, there are no trains. Uh, if you're going to move around, you either walk or you ride. Billy got caught twice for rustling, but there didn't seem to be a jail that could hold the kid. Security was bad, and frankly, it cost money to feed a prisoner, so uh, many sheriffs were not, uh, were, were not unhappy to see the prisoner leave. At that point, he didn't have to worry about it anymore. The prisoner was gone. He was now someone else's worry because the prisoner invariably left the vicinity. He went somewhere else. Even with the odd night in jail, Life was good for Billy. Rustling cattle made for easy money, and he was a good card player. But Billy's life as a petty criminal was about to change forever. Wendy Cahill was a bully, and he was in a bar in Bonita, and he, and he started accosting the kid, making fun of him, and he called him a pimp, this is in the record, and a son of a bitch. And he 
pushed Billy down and sat his knees on his shoulders so he couldn't move and started slapping his face to mock him and make fun of him. But as they rolled around the floor, the kid managed to work one of his hands to a pistol that he had in his belt. And he finally got it out and he fired directly into Cahill's belly. Uh, he jumped up, ran out of the place, jumped onto a horse that happened to be tethered outside that also happened to be a racehorse and uh, took off like there was no tomorrow. I wouldn't call murder normal for the time period in which Billy the kid lived, but murder was almost an accepted thing. Those things happen. Men traditionally went out to the bars, went out to the saloons. They tended to live together, to drink together, to gamble together, and anytime you have a situation like that, you're going to have arguments, and you're going to have fights, and you're going to have killings. My feeling is, is that after the killing of Cahill, the kid made a decision. He really, if he would have stuck around, I think he would have been acquitted because it was self-defense, okay? He obviously, in mind, his mind, something snapped. And he felt uh, like he was now a wanted outlaw. And he escaped back to New Mexico and joined up there very quickly with the Jesse Evans gang, which basically, in modern terms, would be like a biker gang. They rode across from... Um, Silver City all the way over to El Paso and they stopped at every restaurant and said chalk it up and what that means is we're eating we're drinking and we're not paying. Outlaw gangs were rough and rowdy. Hanging out with tough guys like these Billy had to develop an edge of his own. You can just imagine that some of the older outlaws they were drinking all the time would possibly shoot his hat off of his head. They would do very, very mean things, and he had to hold his own in that crowd. I think that's very telling, and it's an early indication that this was somebody who was going to be somebody to be not be trifled with. His time with the outlaws paid off. By the time Billy rode into Lincoln, New Mexico, in the fall of 1887, his skill with a six-shooter impressed the locals. Lincoln resident Frank P. Coe recorded his very first impressions of the kid. I saw that the kid, as we had nicknamed him, was a fine shot with a rifle. He could take two six-shooters, loaded and cocked, one in each hand, his forefinger between the trigger and guard, and twirl one in one direction and the other in the other direction at the same time. But the seemingly peaceful town of Lincoln was really caught up in a mighty power struggle. L.G. Murphy and Jimmy Dolan, the town's leading businessmen, were fighting to defend their monopoly against some upstart newcomers. Murphy and Dolan owned the biggest building in town. If you wanted to trade or you wanted to buy or you wanted to sell, you had to go through Murphy and Dolan. They controlled the trade. They controlled the money. They controlled who bought what. They controlled who sold what. But Murphy and Dolan's grip on Lincoln's business was being challenged by a young Englishman named John Tunstall. With his partner, Alex McSween, the audacious Tunstall had opened his own general store in Lincoln. In 1877, John Tunstall came to Lincoln and went into competition with the firm Murphy and Dolan. And uh, Tunstall vastly underestimated who he was dealing with. He basically thought he could put these guys in their place with a few sharp words, which is a Fatal mistake, as it turned out. Uh, Jimmy Dolan's idea of good management was simply to kill anybody that got in his way. The kid came into Lincoln County not knowing anything of all these, this struggle, this power struggle that was going on, and uh, got a job with John Tunstall, who was hiring 
cowboys with an eye to their handiness with a gun uh, at the time. And he took the kid on. He gave the kid a rifle and he gave him a horse. And these are probably the first presents that anybody ever gave him. No doubt there was at least some kind of a close relationship there. I would say that uh, any Englishman with that kind of a funny accent would, would attract people to him. And he no doubt would have attracted this young, naive youngster who we today call Billy the Kid. The feud between the two warring parties of Lincoln soon came to a head. On February 18, 1878, Tunstall, Billy, and a few others were taking some horses into Lincoln when they were surrounded by some sheriff's deputies loyal to the Murphy Dolan side. Billy the Kid and Tunstall and others are moving horses towards town and sheriff's deputies uh, who have a warrant uh, against Tunstall uh, see them and approach. The, the Kid knows that they are coming in and he shouts for Tunstall to leave and Billy the Kid does leave. Here's the critical mistake. John Tunstall thought he could reason with them. I have nothing to hide. I know this is what he was thinking. He turned and he rode up to them as if to say, what gives you the right to think that you can be firing at me and my men? And one of the guys said, wait till he gets closer. And he pulled his Winchester down and shot him off of his horse right in the chest. They shot him out of his saddle. Then one of them dismounted, walked over and administered a coup de grace to the head. Then, just because everyone knew that Tunstall liked horses, they shot his horse, which has always bothered me. Billy the Kid took off not out of cowardice. He just simply knew that there was going to be a killing and it wasn't a thing in the world he could do about it. And if he stayed, he would be one of the dead. I think for the first time in his life, Billy the Kid felt like he had a chance and had a, a decent, uh, legitimate life. And that was ripped out from under him with the uh, murder of John Tunstall. That night, Tunstall's friends met in Lincoln. Alex McSween called upon the men to avenge Tunstall's death. Dick Brewer, Tunstall's foreman, agreed to lead the group. Among many others, he was joined by Charlie Beaudry, Doc Skurlock, Tom O'Folliard, George Coe, and of course, Billy the Kid. They called themselves the Regulators because they were going to regulate justice. But uh, to be honest, they had, they had warrants for all of the killers of Tunstall, but to be fair to the other side, they really treated those warrants more like hunting licenses than warrants. Legend says that Billy the Kid stood over Tunstall's grave and uh, it threatened re revenge on everyone who did that. He was loyal to his people that were on his side to the point of murder. Whether or not they actually had a dead list of people they wanted to kill and revenge for Tunstall's death is debatable. But they certainly knew who they were after. Most of them had seen many of the posse members. They could identify them by sight. They were people they knew. The regulators rode out of Lincoln and soon caught up with two men from the posse that killed Tunstall, Frank Baker and Buck Morton. Morton and Baker were two of the four-man sub-posse that had gunned Tunstall down. And the uh, regulators found them down near the Pinesco River and captured them. The kid wanted to kill him right then and there on the spot. Actually, we know that one of the regulators did, and we always kind of assumed that it was Billy. But Dick Brewer prevailed. Brewer was much more calm of a person, and uh, he decided they were going to take him back to Lincoln. But the prisoners didn't make it to Lincoln. At a place that is now identified as Dead Man's Canyon, about 15 miles from Lincoln, Billy got his way. <laughs> 
Billy the Kid is very prone to acting out. I think part of it was in revenge for the death of Tunstall, but I think basically the kid at this particular point in time in life was in his element. I mean, and his element was shooting and killing, and, and the kid is, is, is at home there. Sheriff William Brady, a well-known ally of Murphy and Dolan, would be the regulator's next target. They saw Brady and his men walking down the street, and just on a spur of the moment, and they ran out to uh, the alley next to the Tunstall store, and there was a gate used to run across that alley, and they took cover behind that. And all of a sudden, fire erupted from the inside of the corral of the Tunstall store. And Brady fell stricken by 11 balls, and several other guys were shot. And uh, Brady set up and said, oh, my God, I've been shot. And another round of shots came, and he was shot dead. The sheriff and his deputy dead and buried. The regulators moved on. A few days later, they arrived at Blazer's Mill, where they quickly discovered another Murphy Dolan friend, Buckshot Roberts. A shootout ensued, and Buckshot was killed. But not before he had shot Dick Brewer between the eyes and relieved George Coe of his trigger finger. Ironically, Dick Brewer and the man who blew his brains out were buried side by side. Dick Brewer was highly respected uh, in the Lincoln area, and I know that uh, Billy the Kid uh, respected him immensely, and I think by this time, after the loss of Tunstall and then Brewer, that he really was out for an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. In May of 1878, Territorial Governor Samuel Axtell, concerned about all the increasing violence in Lincoln County, issued a proclamation calling all men now under arms to disarm and return to their homes. But the proclamation was ignored. Everyone goes on killing each other. <laughs> it's a, it, it, what's the, everybody's got blood in their eye and they're just, uh, the ball is open and they're going to do it to the, the dance to the bloody end. The bloody end was soon to come. Two months later, the regulators found themselves back in Lincoln. Trapped in Alex McSween's house, they were completely surrounded, not only by the new Lincoln County Sheriff, George Pepin, and his men, but also by Colonel Nathan Dudley and the U.S. Cavalry. Clearly, the law had had enough of the regulators. Somebody set fire to the McSween house. The regulators were being burned out. The McSween house is now on fire, and it's burning room by room, it's burning, burning very slowly. Billy the Kid says, we're going to make a break for it. He grabbed McSween, who was sitting with his head in his hands, and shook him, told him to get ready, they were going to make a break. Then he asked for volunteers for a decoy party. Anybody ever says that Billy the Kid was a coward, doesn't know what they're talking about, because he and his four volunteers came out the back door of the McSween house into a hailstorm of lead. McSween is riddled with bullets. The kid escapes into the river bottom, up the other side, spends the night on the other side, somewhere in that mountain. Actually, it is quite extraordinary that anyone escaped from that house. I mean, there was lead flying everywhere. Billy was known for escapes anyway, but he, for, even for him, this was something, because they ran through what I can only describe as a hailstorm of bullets. Billy's escape had been nothing short of miraculous, and maybe he believed that one miracle was all he was due for. 
He wrote to his old friend Jesse Evans and asked if parties from both sides of the Lincoln County War could meet in Lincoln to make peace. They met on opposite walls during the night and uh, came out in the street, shook hands, and wrote up rules of how they, they would uh, have the peace. But the meeting broke down when the men got drunk and the ever-volatile Jimmy Dolan accidentally shot a lawyer named Chapman. So much for peace. Billy must have felt that the Chapman incident would bring him more trouble because one week later, New Mexico's new governor, Lou Wallace, received a surprising letter from the kid. I was present when Mr. Chapman was murdered and know who did it. If it were not for the indictments, I would have made that clear before now. If it is in your power to annul those indictments, I hope you will do so as to give me a chance to explain. Please send me an answer telling me what you can do. I have no wish to fight anymore. Eager to find out all he could about the Lincoln County War, Wallace instructed Billy to meet him in Lincoln. Governor and the outlaw met at Lincoln's Casa del Patron. It's agreed between Wallace and the kid, apparently, that the kid will testify in open court about the corruption, about the killings, uh, about Chapman's murder, about Tunstall's murder. And in exchange for this, the kid will, uh, will all charges against him will be dropped. Billy went into voluntary confinement at the Casa del Patron. He testified in the Chapman murder trial, but when the trial ended, Judge William Reinerson refused to pardon Billy. The kid went into voluntary confinement for 27 days, waiting for Wallace to make good on his end of the bargain. He risked his life to testify, and Wallace never even got in touch with him. The kid is incarcerated only for a brief time, and he gets to thinking, I'm not sure Wallace is going to drop those charges against me. So as a result, the kid simply leaves. Once again, Billy left Lincoln. Now a famous outlaw, his only option was to return to what he knew best, life on the lam, hiding out in the hills and rustling cattle. Always a faithful friend, he rejoined his former regulators, Tom O'Folliard and Charlie Beaudry. But the group made the great mistake of stealing 118 head of cattle from cattle baron John Chisholm. Chisholm was not amused and decided that Billy needed to be dealt with once and for all. In Chisholm's view, there was only one man up to the task, Pat Garrett. Cattle Baron John Chisholm decided that Billy had to go, basically, and he backed Pat Garrett for sheriff of Lincoln County. And once Garrett was elected, his first order of business was to get rid of Billy the Kid. Garrett heard that the Kid was hiding out in Fort Sumner, he decided to check out the lead. Garrett and his posse arrived in Fort Sumner, and it was snowy and foggy, and it was basically a bad night. And they went into the old hospital there and waited. And they waited for Billy the Kid to come in. And he did, with his men. And uh, Charlie Beaudry was there, Tom Pickett, Billy Wilson, and Tom O'Follier. You've got a full moon, you've got three or four inches of hard-crusted snow on the ground, and here come the outlaws. They're coming down out of the hills, single file, heavily bundled against the cold. And Garrett threw up his Winchester and said, halt. Garrett fired, and everybody fired. The only person hit was Tom O'Follier. Leaving O'Follier behind to die, 
Billy, Charlie Beaudry, and the rest of the gang raced through the snow and found shelter in a small rock hut at a place called Stinking Springs. It wasn't long before Garrett and his men caught up. Garrett pulls his deputies together. He says, now look, fellas, we really blew it back there in Lincoln. He said, uh, now I know Billy the Kid. We don't want to make any more mistakes of shooting the wrong man. I know Billy the Kid. Wait for my signal. Garrett is going to give the signal. He knows what kind of hat Billy the Kid's wearing. It's a, it's a sugarloaf sombrero from Chihuahua with a green hat band. And so in the doorway, he sees, stepping out, is a man with his head down with a, with a sombrero and a green headband. He holds up his hand for the signal and puts it down, and all these bullets headed 800 miles an hour towards that person in the doorway. Charlie Bowdry happened to be wearing a hat that was frequently associated with the kid, and the posse assumed he was the kid, opened up, killed him. He staggers towards Garrett, where Garrett is in his blankets. He falls into Garrett's arms and says, I wish, I wish... And what I think he wanted to say was, I wish I hadn't worn this hat. When Charlie Beaudry was killed at Stinking Springs, this photograph was found on his person of him and Manuela. Garrett found it. Notice the blood stains. Those are Charlie Beaudry's actual blood stains on the photo. Billy finally surrendered and was taken to the town of Mesilla, where he stood trial for the murder of Sheriff Brady. Just before the trial, Billy wrote again to Governor Wallace. I wish you would come down to the jail to see me. It will be to your interest to come and see me. I have some letters which date back two years, and there are parties who are very anxious to get them, but I shall not dispose of them until I see you. Wallace did not respond, and Billy went to trial. Well, if you ever read the, uh, the judge's instructions to the jury, essentially uh, he told them that if Billy was in New Mexico when Sheriff Brady was killed, he's guilty. And that was the result. He was found guilty, sentenced to death in the spring of 1881. They brought him back up to Lincoln to be hanged. Billy was taken to the Lincoln County Courthouse, where he was kept in a room on the second floor. Guarded by deputies J.W. Bell and Bob Ollinger, he watched out the window as his own gallows were being built. We know very little about Billy the Kid's state of mind this time, except that he was still capable of planning. He recognized he had to have been in a tight spot, and he also was getting desperate, and he knew that the time to act had to come pretty quick. Garrett says an interesting thing about the kid. He said the kid was always thinking about the future. He never dwelled on the past. And this is where it came true because he was, his eyes and his ears were open for every opportunity. The kid had been in jail for, in Lincoln for about a week and he'd been waiting for a chance and it came on April 28, 1881, about dinner time. At some point, Billy the Kid asked to go to the bathroom and was taken out by J.W. Bell to the outhouse, which is in the back of the uh, courthouse, and in some way got a pistol. We don't know where he got the gun from, but wherever he got it from, he got a hold of one, and he shot Bell on the inside stairwell. The bullet went through Bell, slammed into the wall. You can still see the bullet hole. Ollinger came running across the street, ran right up under the window where the kid is sitting there with his shotgun looking down at him. He looked up into what were, had to have been the merciless eyes of the kid, and in front of those eyes were the twin muzzles of Bob's own shotgun, which immediately went off. He was hit by 18 buckshot. He died instantly. 
After this, all resemblance to a normal jailbreak ends. The kid went out on the uh, sun porch of the courthouse and made a speech to the townspeople who had gathered around, basically telling them that if no one else interfered with them, no one else would be hurt. The people of Lincoln knew better than to resist the kid. Billy freed himself from his shackles, grabbed a horse, and rode out of town, a free man yet again. Everyone assumed that Billy the Kid went to Mexico, Garrett included. No one could imagine that the kid would go right back to his old haunts around Fort Sumner, which is about 120 miles north of Lincoln. But that's exactly where the kid went. Billy the Kid could definitely be described as an optimistic outlaw. Anyone else in his shoes would have vanished from southern New Mexico. Billy the Kid said, no, I'm going to stay. I can outlast these people. I can survive. And he couldn't. He couldn't outlast Pat Garrett. Garrett was even more stubborn than Billy the Kid, and Garrett would never permit the kid to survive in his jurisdiction. Garrett gets word that, wait, the kid's in Fort Sumner. And Garrett says, my God, my wife's from Fort Sumner. I lived in Fort Sumner. I know people in Fort Sumner. The kid isn't there. But nevertheless, Garrett recognized that he had to go and take a look for himself. Garrett believed that rancher Pete Maxwell would know where Billy was in Fort Sumner. And so the sheriff paid a midnight visit to Maxwell's house. Garrett tiptoes into Maxwell's bedroom, sits on the bed, says, have you seen the kid? Meanwhile, a lone character of figures comes across the yard in bare feet, carrying a pistol and a knife. The kid apparently turns, steps into Maxwell's bedroom to the edge of the bed, and he says, Pete, who are those guys outside? I guess his voice would be a little high. And then he notices Garrett sitting there on the edge of the bed, the kid realized there was somebody there, but he didn't, I suspect he didn't want to shoot a friend. At any rate, he held his fire and it turned out to be a fatal mistake. Garrett's sitting on his holster. He manages to get his pistol. He aims it and fires twice. First shot hits the kid right above the heart. The second shot goes dead into the wall. Garrett goes charging through the door saying, it's a kid, it's a kid. And the deputy said, that's a kid. And Garrett says, yes, I'd know him anywhere. They hear the death gurgle. Finally, De La Vina, Maxwell, the Indian servant, goes inside and says, oh my God, he's dead, Billy the Kid. One of Maxwell's laborers, Jesus Silva, carried Billy's body to the wood shop and laid him out on an old carpenter's bench. The next day, Jesus dug a hole for the grave and Billy was buried. On July 18, 1881, the Las Vegas Daily reported, Pat Garrett, the terror of all evildoers in this loser country, planted a ball with his unerring deadly aim in the heart of Billy the Kid last night about midnight. An inquest was held on his body today, and the verdict of the jury was justifiable homicide, and that Pat Garrett ought to receive the thanks of the whole community for his indomitable courage and energy in ridding the country of this desperado, and that he is truly worthy of a handsome reward. Few men have witnessed what Billy did in his short life. He watched his mother, his mentor, and three of his best friends die before his very eyes. He killed to defend himself. He killed to avenge the death of those he respected. And he killed to escape. But in the end, even the West's most infamous outlaw, at the age of only 21, could not escape his own death.
No, I'm going to stop that right there. You know, there's an alternate ending to that that a lot of people believe. That they believe that Pat Garrett didn't kill Billy the Kid, and Billy the Kid actually moved to Texas and become Brushy Bill Roberts. And, you know, this was in the late uh, 1890s, and uh, back in the, uh, I believe it was the late 40s, Brushy Bill Roberts come forward to the governor of New Mexico and claimed that he was Billy the Kid after everyone around him wanted him to, his family and all. And uh, the governor never recognized him as Billy the Kid until five days after he died. And the governor of Mexico, New Mexico said that he was Billy the Kid. So, you know, it's skeptical about what really happened, you know, because on a lot of those old stories, uh, the stories change. They start out one way, and then it's added to, and it's took away from. And like I said about my last episode of Doc Holliday, I can uh, identify with that because I'm a lot like that, too. There's a lot of stories out there. There's a lot of things added to it. There's a lot of things took away. And now we're going to listen to some stuff, a short little clip here of uh, about Brushy Bill Roberts, alias Billy the Kid, maybe. We know him as Billy the Kid, a notorious outlaw of the Wild West. He's a man whose rough and tumble beginnings were perhaps an omen of what his life would become. His mother died when he was three years old, and his aunt, his mother's maternal half-sister, came from the east to get him and she took him with her to raise as her son. That aunt died when Billy was only 14 years old. They were living in New Mexico at the time, and the kid eventually began working for rancher John Tunstall. When Tunstall was killed by rival ranchers, a feud known as the Lincoln County War erupted. As a result, Billy was wanted for murder. He was eventually apprehended by Sheriff Pat Garrett, found guilty, and sentenced to hang on May 13, 1881. He decided it was time he left before they hung him, and so he broke loose. He but he shot and killed two deputies. Three months later, Sheriff Garrett, on the trail of Billy the Kid, thought he'd located him in Fort Sumner, New Mexico. About midnight on July 14th of 1881, Garrett shot Billy in the dark. That's where the story begins to differ. If you live here in Hypo, Texas. Well, the deputy marshal turns the body over, looks up at, my, uh, at Pat Garrett and says, you've killed the wrong man. But... Pat Garrett had to kill Billy the Kid that night. That was the third person he had shot in the back. Garrett buried the body without letting anyone else see it. Some believe Billy the Kid escaped, lived in Mexico for three years, then returned to the U.S., where he worked under several assumed names. But eventually, he settled here. That is Brushy Bill, William Henry Roberts. Known as Brushy for chasing stolen horses through wild thickets later in life, the town created this museum devoted to Brushy Bill, a.k.a. Billy the Kid. Sue says folks here in Heiko always had a strange feeling about Brushy. Brushy was known for being a weird cowboy. He'd walk the streets, and when he and his wife would come into town, he would not allow her to walk beside him. He was always afraid somebody would recognize him, and she might get hurt in a crossfire or something like that. But Brushy never shared his story. In the late 1940s, lawyer William Morrison was assisting former outlaw Jesse Evans with a land claim. Evans told Morrison he knew Billy the Kid was still alive and living in Heiko, Texas. Brushy Bill confessed to the lawyer he was indeed Billy the Kid. He showed scars consistent with those the Kid was known to have, and facial recognition software showed many similarities. 
Sue admits she was skeptical that Billy the Kid survived all those years. It really wasn't until 2014 when I started reading all the facts that I totally believed he was Billy the Kid. The evidence persuaded Sue that Brushy was the infamous outlaw. The folks in this area certainly believe Brushy's grave in nearby Hamilton has all of Bill's names, including the most famous. Of course, there's still a marker in Fort Sumner, New Mexico, claiming to be Billy's final resting place as well. But for most of the folks here, and to many across the nation, it was Texas, not New Mexico, where Billy the Kid was laid to rest. So did Billy the Kid die in 1881 in New Mexico, or did he live another seven decades under the name Brushy Bill? Well, that's for you to decide. And a trip here to the Billy the Kid Museum will help you do just that. Traveling the countryside in Heiko, Texas, I'm Andrew Oh, yeah. Well, it, it depends on which story you believe. Uh, I've actually visited that museum at uh, Brushy Bill Roberts, uh, a.k.a. Billy the Kid Museum in Texas, and it's something else, you know. Uh, it's said that he actually had two of Billy's actual guns that had been identified from some of his friends that, and his associates that was still alive at the time, and you know, most of them was had uh, already passed away by this time, but I, I want to believe the alternate story to that. But who knows what you know? Which one is the true story? But uh, I hope y'all enjoyed this episode. Uh, next week uh, we're going to do our questions and answers like we always do. Uh, I've got uh, about uh, eleven hundred and something questions here. And uh, I'm going to ask everyone to keep sending in them requests uh, for episode uh, titles. And uh, keep on uh, sending all those comments in, all those questions, because we enjoy that. And when you send in a question uh, to the podcast, you get a free T-shirt, The Adventures of Flash. Uh, I'd like to once again thank everyone for tuning in. I hope you all enjoyed this episode. And uh, make sure that you stay tuned next week because uh, next week's episode is going to be another good one. And um, I like doing this podcast. I enjoy it. And I'm going to keep on keeping on just like Joe Dirt. And uh, next week, uh, we've got a really special episode for y'all. I actually got an interview with someone that I'm going to put on here. And um, I know y'all's going to enjoy that. I'm going to warn you about some explicit uh, comments from the person because uh, that's the type of person they are. But because um, I do not cut anything out of my episode, uh, it's completely off the cuff. I do not do retakes on any of my comments. Uh, it's uh, what you listen to is what you get. So with all that said, uh, we might later on get back to some of for the horror movie fans and the, the people like that, we may get back to uh, some of those episodes. Uh, the Haunted House episodes has done real good. And uh, a lot of uh, episodes of the wrestling and the folks that I've uh, been associated with uh, in wrestling has uh, been a big uh, favorite. So that's the type of episodes that we come got coming up in the near future uh, We've got that uh, guest commentator episode coming up later, and uh, my time is still kind of limited on the podcast because of my work schedule, but I'm going to make time for it each and every week if applicable. 
So thank you all for tuning in. Tune in to the next episode. I love you guys. Good night.